listening to Halfway There, episode number 268, Travis Johnson and World Changing Community. We need each other, friends. All right. Well, hey, friends, welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. And I am so glad that you're here. Thank you so much for downloading. As always, if you enjoy the show, and I know you're going to, uh, go ahead and would you just mention it to a friend? Maybe you know somebody who has a similar experience or uh, you're just talking about the podcast that you're listening to uh, or it comes up and you're just like, you know what, I want to, somebody comes to mind, just send a text or shoot a message to somebody and let them know that this is a great show that would also enrich their life. That would mean the world to me. So thanks for doing that. Really appreciate it. It's the number one way we grow is when you tell us to tell a friend. So thanks for that. Guys, our guest, I'm excited to have this conversation today because our guest, he is also a podcast host. He's the host of the Nonprofit Architect Podcast, Travis Johnson. Travis, welcome to Halfway There. Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. Glad to be here. Certainly uh, glad to have you as well. I mean, that's kind of an interesting world, the Nonprofit Architect podcast. Tell me tell me all about that. Uh, well, I had been doing some nonprofit work here in Oklahoma City, sort of on the board of the Shine Foundations and Books by Vets, raised a half a million bucks in just two years, and then I got stationed in the kingdom of Bahrain. See all this stuff behind me? Mm-hmm. These are all props, so I can point to stuff. <laughs> nice. Kingdom of Bahrain, a little island in the Middle East. I got out there and my family stayed in the U.S. and wanted to find something to you know do that was productive, kept me out of trouble, kept me growing and learning towards something. And someone's like, you know, why don't you start a podcast? You've got kind of one of those podcast voices. And I was like, yeah. oh, do I? And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> or like, you absolutely do. And so I took a little sort of survey of, you know, the top nonprofit podcasts that were out there. And there was definitely some good shows, but what I didn't find was a show dedicated to sharing the how-to behind the scenes stuff that nonprofits all need to know how to do and learn. It seems like like more, even more so than the military, they're spending all their time doing and very little time learning, which is unfortunate. So we created an interview show because I don't have all the stinking answers. Uh, bring in great guests, qualified to answer all your questions. And they give you the no kidding step-by-step how-to between all the scenes for nonprofit business leaders and consultants, all the, so you can grow a stronger nonprofit. Yeah. I love that. You know, I love the, um, you know, I've heard Don- Donald Miller say that he does his show because it's like free coaching, right? Cause it gets, gets people to do it. And it's kind of like that, right? You get mm-hmm. to connect with amazing people when you have a podcast. I love that. Um, okay. So nonprofits, you were doing, you're doing a lot of nonprofit work, which is, amazing and and kind of its own world isn't it 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 is it's a whole different kind of subset if you listen i can't remember the ted speaker right now but he he talked about how when we got over here from england the the puritans really wanted the freedom to earn money and they almost did charity as kind of paying penance earn as much as you can be brutal and earn as much as you want to but you got to make sure you give back 10 percent. you know almost out of guilt and that yeah. drives a lot of how nonprofits feel and operate today, which is really weird. It is kind of weird. And it's that Protestant work ethic, I think, that uh, that is kind of interesting. Okay, that's a whole other 
church history podcast, but we're here to talk about your story. So uh, we'll get we'll get into more of this. Quite interesting. You've got you've got a lot uh, a lot of things that you've kind of been through, and you mentioned the military. You're uh, you're currently in, about to retire. That's, is that right? Yes, I'm within five months of retirement. Nice. Very exciting time for me, and scary at the same time. Right, because I've been doing this for 21 years that guaranteed first and 15th paycheck, whether I work an hour or I work a hundred hours a week, I know what I'm getting paid. And now the unknown is approaching. What's going to yeah. happen? Are you excited? <laughs> do you know what you're going to do? Uh, I've got a few irons in the fire and, and some things I'm looking forward to. I actually released a, a podcast guide earlier this year and it's done so well. I was very shocked because I just feel like I'm just a regular dude. Uh, and people started asking for a course right away. So now I'm building a how to podcast course for Forbes Business School, which is really cool. Oh, wow. Very cool. Um, oh yeah, I'm excited. I'm just a regular dude. And <laughs> like, here we go. I'm going to have a have a course that uh, not only teaches you how to podcast like so many courses out there, but you also get college credits for taking it. Oh, nice. Very cool. That's pretty amazing. I love that. Well, as you know, um, I am part of Christian Podcasters Association, founded that group uh, a few years ago. And so I'm a big believer in the power of podcasting. I love that. Mm -hmm. So uh, fantastic. Okay, let's dive into some of your story. And I was going to ask you, normally ask like, where are you from? But you kind of grew up moving all over the place. So that's not a great question for you. Tell, Tell us about that. Well, it's hard to answer that question because right now at this very moment, I'm on move number 50. That's five zero. Uh, I'm not yet 40. So people are like, oh, wow, wow, were you in the military? I'm like, you think we move twice a year every year? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But I moved 36 times, went to 12 schools, six states, five different foster homes, and survived two murder attempts by family members before graduating high school at 17. All right, well, tell us that story. Like, what was going on? Why, why were you moving so much? Uh, my mother suffers from bipolar disorder. So every time mm. she needed to have treatment, and it was always inpatient treatment, my sister and I would have to move in with a family member or into foster care in order to survive. Yeah. How did that, what did that do? How did that affect you? Uh, well, up until fourth grade, it didn't affect me at all. Uh, the fun funny thing about kids zero to seven is we're building our blueprint for how we operate as people and we have no filter. So if you tell your kids they're worthless, ugly, fat, stupid, whatever, zero to seven, that's what they're going to operate on for the vast majority of their life. But if you tell someone that they're funny, smart, handsome, witty, and anything that they can think in their mind, they can create into this world, that's how they're going to operate. So it wasn't until fourth grade that I even realized how different we were from anybody else because I had no idea that no one else was moving. That was just my kind of standard operating. Procedure. It was your world. Yeah. 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 I didn't know any other world. Right. There's nothing to compare it to. So when I finally got it kind of compared and turned back on me, um, like starting in fourth grade was really tough, especially because in kindergarten, second grade, fourth grade, and seventh grade, I was in three different school schools during each of those school years. Wow. So that's <laughs> so, tough to make friends. Like socially, that's, that's, hard. You come in as the outsider and then you're just like everything. You kind of get used to that whole upheaval mm-hmm. all the time. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely changes the way 
you know, you operate because I never had any problems making friends. I had a problem keeping friends because we would always be gone. And it's not like it is today where you've got social media and all this stuff. If you didn't have their phone number and address, oh yeah, they vanished. They disappeared. This is the yeah. the eighties and nineties. You didn't have that information. They might as well not even existed on this planet. Right. No do you remember, do you remember wondering like, I wonder whatever happened to, right? Like you can't. And, and now it's like, Oh, I'm just going to go to their Facebook profile and see what they're up to. Right. Like yeah. I'll, I'll just Google them. Yeah. It's a different there, world for sure. There's a bunch of people I, I still kind of look for occasionally to try to see where they are, what they're doing. And I can't, I can't locate them. So yeah, uh, maybe it's not meant to be. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So that's a lot of tumultuous and probably emotional kinds of things going on as a kid. How did that, how'd that, you know, I want to say manifest. I've been watching too much uh, TikTok. probably. There's too many, too many people. Like that. I, I don't, yeah, I don't buy it, but you know, like that, that hasn't a fruit, right. That comes up. Right. So what, what did that, what did that result in as you, as you were growing older? Well, it, it really depends, right? Because you, you have the choice more than I think we believe we have the choice, right? It wasn't my fault that most of that yeah. stuff happened to me, right? Um, but it was my responsibility to seek out the healing I needed and to take charge of my life and to move forward. And no, you know, that's not an easy thing to say when you're in the middle of the storm, right? Oh, yeah, it's horrendous. It's coming down, Travis. Your information's terrible. This sucks completely. It does. It does suck. Uh, and it took me quite a few years to figure out what was what, because I had got yeah, like fourth grade. I'll go back to fourth grade. Um, it was super tough for me. And I started changing the way I was behaving because I was just really upset. I didn't have uh, a family that I could confide in or could support me because they were just as messed up. I didn't have, you know, people to reach out to. You know, getting a hold of family members or grandparents, you know, as you might imagine, having a family member with bipolar disorder that really has, you yeah. know, hallucinations as well. Like it's hard to be family with that person, let alone friends with that person. It is. So it's not like you have people you can reach out to like all the time. Yeah, that's interesting because it destroyed not only your mom's support structure, but yours. It sounds like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened is we ended up you know, using a lot of nonprofit services, a lot of social services, a lot of public programs, a lot of churches. Um, like <laughs> I tried to go through and like list all the churches that I've been a part of. And yeah. when I got to like 70, I just stopped counting. Um, and looking back, I kind of feel like we might've been jumping from church to church to use some goodwill until mm. we get wore out our welcome. Cause we really just didn't have the capacity um, to do a lot of things on our own. We had, we had some stuff, but really, you know, seven streams of income coming from child support, social security, food stamps, disability, SSI, alimony, and welfare and whatever other program I didn't mention. Um, because there's no other way to do it. The, the amount of like medication that my, my mother needed and the things that we needed, like we couldn't have gone in basically northern rural minnesota and find some kind of job that would have paid those things or some kind of benefits and even if she did yeah how long was she going to last at that job yeah did you have siblings yeah i have a younger full sister okay and so did you end up feeling responsible for i basically took charge of my house at about nine years old wow making sure 
groceries were got, people were up and moving, people were going to work. My mom did a lot of side jobs, like singing telegrams and house cleaning and different odd jobs just to bring in money. Yeah. So as a nine-year-old, you were like, okay, I've got to, I got to be in charge here because mom's not. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, that's, that's a lot of responsibility for a kid. It's a lot of responsibility for anyone. <laughs> if, if you look around the U S and you look that's at fair. households and parents and whatever they're doing, like it's a lot, it is a lot to try to maintain a house, to maintain a family, have any kind of sanity, uh, let alone free time or enjoyment in your life. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So when did you kind of find the Lord? You were in and out of churches, but where, when did that kind of become a personal relationship for you? It really wasn't until I didn't really have any kind of experience or anything until I was maybe like in fifth or sixth grade. I have to base it on where I was living at the time yeah, or what movies were out to try to assemble some kind of timeline. And I remember where, what town I was living in at the time, Elbow Lake, Minnesota. And we had went to like a Bible camp, like a week long, like summer camp. Uh, and really was the first time I was around a lot of believers that weren't just eh, those people at church that are like, will look at you funny based on what you were wearing. And since we were super poor, what we were wearing was always inappropriate at every church we were at. <laughs> right. Je- cut off jean shorts, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, jorts. You can't you can't get through the 80s and early 90s without some jorts, jort experience. Certainly not. Certainly not. That's good. <laughs> okay. So they're looking at you funny, but you're there. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it wasn't, I, I had a pretty big, like, emotional breakdown and surrender. I don't remember if I was 15 or 16. This was after uh, my mom tried to kill me and then she was back in the home and was just completely wiped out. And I had had enough and I cried out and uh, I was laying down in bed and I had a cat, a big orange fluffy cat named Murphy, which is the absolute best name for a cat. Let's be honest. (laughs) And uh, I had thought my cat jumped on the bed, right? Big, large, orange cat, the feeling of another being, you know, jumping onto the bed or sitting under the bed. And this had happened a couple nights in a row. And then I put my hand down in that area. I was kind of pet my cat and there was nothing there. Uh, very, very unusual. I don't know what it was. I don't know. You know, I can't, I didn't see anything. I can think I knew what it was. Um, uh, to this day, I chalk it up to a, an angel sitting on my bed, just wow. being there with me, uh, which it took me a long time to remember that story. Uh, it wasn't until like within the last year that I had remembered that experience had happened. And it was the very next day that I moved out. I left my mom's house. I moved in with my grandmother and I said to my mom, I was like, if you love me, you're just going to let me go and you're not going to say anything about it. You're wow. just going to release me from this pain cycle, this trauma. Yeah. How old were you? 16. 16. Wow. So you've been going through that. That's, I mean, that's a long time. Did your, did your sister go with you or was it just you? I left her. You left her. I had only could focus on me and what I needed. Yeah. And it was a very hard decision 
And I know there's so many people out there that have strained relationships, especially with their family members. And here's, here's the deal. No amount of shared DNA gives someone permission to treat you a certain way. Hmm. You have to set and enforce your own boundaries, even with family members. Um, it's interesting because both my mother and my sister tried to kill me. And that was all of the people in my house was the three of us. Wow. And I have a relationship with one of those individuals and do not with the other one. One of them is working on themselves and trying to take care of their life and be mentally well most days. And the other doesn't acknowledge any fault in any way, shape or form for any of their actions ever. And I'm okay with that decision, but I don't have to invite that into my life, into my house, into my family. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a tough lesson to learn, right? I think a lot of us don't learn that we're taught all the time that family is the most important thing, right? Particularly in Christian circles, you know, family, uh, you know, if they behave like family, obvious, right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And, uh, but that's just not always, always the norm. It doesn't always happen that way. I love what you said. No amount of shared DNA gives someone permission to treat you that way. Right. Like that's, you got to have your boundaries. Um, and that's just a certain amount of respect for your, for yourself, right? That you, I I got to respect myself and the the sanity level of my house and the the amount of drama level in my house, which is right around zero, just the way I like it. And I have, (laughs) it's just like a vampire, right? I'm not going to invite them in. (laughs) Right. Right. Can I come in? No, no, you can't. No, you can't. Wow. You're not welcome here. That's amazing. Okay. So. What happened after that? And particularly, I'm curious, how did you begin to grow spiritually? So you left and went to your grandparents' house. Were they believers or was it, what was that like? Uh, was life like just, just my grandmother. Um, I don't think we ever went to church together. I went to church on my own. I had a youth group that I was a part of that I went to on Wednesdays uh, by myself through the last year of high school. Um, but it wasn't until I found my girlfriend, joined the Navy, and then I credit God with the rest of it. Um, You know, I got to a place where people didn't care about my background. They took me just as I was and, Mm -hmm. you know, following their rules, so to speak, for lack of a better word, you know, allowed me to, to move and grow and change who I was as a person. You know, my wife didn't care about all the stuff in my background. She just loved me for me. The Navy's like, as long as you're willing to do these things, Right. We don't care where you came from, what your family name was. We don't care if you were in poverty or a rich kid come in here and do this stuff. And it's the same with the Lord come as you are. And that allowed me to really start building my own life. Um, there was still a lot of growing to do a lot of yes. growing. Right. You know, it wasn't until my, uh, really my late twenties where I started realizing, you know, some of the other things that people maybe learn when they're younger, like who you hang out with matters. You know, I was in the Navy and hanging around with a bunch of people that ran their mouth and, um, you know, were critical and not particularly helpful. And I realized that that's not who I wanted to be like. And I looked around to see who was working on their family, working on their faith, working on the career, working on their education, working on themselves. And I started hanging out with those people. And it was an instant change in my life. I stopped running my mouth. I started focusing on the good things and taking care of the people around me and really, uh, 
completely launched my life into a whole other trajectory beyond what I had done, just getting away from all the pain. Yeah, that's fascinating. I love how uh, the military for you was sort of a stabilizing force, right? Because for like we kind of <laughs> mentioned earlier, like the whole thing where, you know, a lot of military families just move all the time. But for you, it was like, hey, this is like. I steady. found more stability in the military. I've been stationed essentially in Oklahoma City for the last 19 years. Oh, wow. I say essentially. Um, I did a, a five-year tour at a command here on base, went across the parking lot to teach for three years, got accepted to a program, a commissioning program at the University of Oklahoma, which was right down the street. So I stayed there again. I did take a year in flight school in Pensacola, Florida. Got my wings. See? Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, little little <laughs> things. Came back to Oklahoma to fly this airplane. Man, uh-huh. little stuff I'm pointing to in the background. That's, just that's pretty cool. What kind of airplane is that? What is it? That's the E6B Mercury they do nuclear command and control. Oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. That's not a, an everyday conversation. People that doesn't no. come up. Oh, tell me where you were when this happened. No, like that doesn't, um, that's not a thing, <laughs> but got stationed back in Tinker again. And then went over across the parking lot again to teach. I did that year in Bahrain and then I came back again. So other than that year in flight school and that year in Bahrain, I'd been here since 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did do, uh, I've worked on F-18s in Lemoore, California for my first two years. One on the Stennis, the Lincoln, and the Con- the Constellation, launching airplanes off the front of the aircraft carrier. Um, but I really found a home here in Oklahoma. So my kids, other than that year in Florida, my kids have been here their whole lives. Nice. Yeah. Which, what does that mean to you? <laughs> it means everything. Because I had no idea like, how to make this happen. They're like, hey, you're going to be a dad. And I'm like, I don't know how to be a dad. Like, well, I have no, like, you know, I have a relationship with my dad now, but we didn't start hanging out until I, until I moved out of my mom's house. You know, all that stuff going on. Like, it's hard to be around people with, with mental health problems, right? It really is. Um, yeah. So we didn't start building our relationship till I had moved out. Yeah. So talk to me more about kind of your process of learning and growing with the Lord, like what that looked like as you, so, so kind of you had all this, you know, it seems like you feel like God was with you when you were young and God Mm -hmm. was clearly, you know, I love how you interpreted that in that moment where you felt like an angel sat on your bed. Like you're like, look, I think God was there and you, and he, you know, gave your life to Christ. But how did you then, how had that season, I call it, um, you know, learning the way of Jesus, right? That sort of studying the word, learning your theology, learning, uh, learning to serve. How did, how did all that happen for you? Tell me, tell me some stories about that. Sure. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't until I was stationed here in Oklahoma. So, you know, going through all the schools and stuff and, uh, boot camp and whatnot for the Navy and even being stationed in California. It wasn't until we got to Oklahoma, had been here for a couple of years, got established and realized that even though we were doing some of that good stuff, we weren't uh, really connecting with the body of Christ. We got invited to a life church in Oklahoma city and really saw what the church was meant to look like. The people that are there, the people that are engaging, the people that get you involved and the, you know, start going through the lessons of the Lord and then to see it in the body of the people that you see every day 
really starts changing that experience for you and who you are. Well, so what does that mean? What what does when you say a church, what church should look like? What does that mean? Our experience with church growing up, there was a lot of judgment. We, I mentioned, mm-hmm. you know, just clothes earlier. Um, you know, not dressing the part. That's in that's in Minnesota. That's kind of more Lutheran style right. service uh, now in the South. But I'm not at a Baptist church where. The dress code, I think, would remain the same. Um, it's one thing entirely to go to church and to to be involved and then start, you know, well, so-and-so wasn't at church today, and you, you hold that against them. And and there's a tire, entirely another thing to be with people and meet in small groups and be able to share what's going on in your life, and they actually mm. care about you and don't judge you and don't talk down to you. And when you leave the room, they don't talk about you when you're gone, actually behaving <laughs> like that. Christians should behave. <laughs> well, that's amazing. Are there any Imagine like that. passages or experiences that you had that stand out to you or maybe a mentor that, uh, that kind of helped you along that, that way? Yeah, there was a, a good group of guys here uh, in the South Oklahoma city area. I cannot remember exactly what they were called. Cannot remember because I have, yeah. you know, I left for a year, and then I went overseas for a year. Um, but it was no kidding, a bunch of bikers and working class folks, and we would meet in like a Denny's in a back room and really just talk about what was going on. And we would talk about what passages would support, what would the you know New Testament say about that situation, what does that look like? Really doing life together based on the word is what had probably the yeah, biggest. It's amazing how valuable that can be. Right. As you're, as you're learning, not just learning scripture, but also just learning community. <laughs> that is exactly right. I had no idea yeah. what it, what it meant to be part of a community. It wasn't until my mid to late twenties that I had even a fraction of an idea what that meant because we were never part of the community. We we're never part of the process. Mm-hmm. We received services but we didn't give at all. We yeah. couldn't really give and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. If you're in a place where you can't give, you know, that's, that's part of life and, and part of different seasons. That's perfectly okay. But when you are in a position to give back, that was really kind of the start of my nonprofit journey. I had finally gotten to a place mm-hmm. where I didn't feel like I was in survival mode, where I didn't feel like I was in a scarcity mindset. And I really looked around and, asked the guys at church. I was like, what is it like to be part of a community? Well, he's like, it's kind of like this. I was like, yeah, but like, what are people in the community? Like, if you're a good person <laughs> in the community, like, what do you do? Yeah. 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 And you know, I, I didn't know, you know, and they, they serve on committees and they show up to vote at town halls and they volunteer at nonprofits and they donate to nonprofits or build buildings or parks or whatever. They get their name on like, you know, the cornerstone of the, whatever, and he's like, you know what? I know someone that you should be going to talk to. And I got sent down to this network meeting downtown in Oklahoma City. I didn't know anybody. I had no idea what I was going to do. No idea like what I was going to offer. I just showed up with a good attitude, willing to help. And I sat down and met some great people. Heard an amazing story from Miss Patty McDoolit. And she was talking about her daughter and all the great things, great things that she was doing. She was serving in like 40 wow community boards. She had worked with Operation Smiles overseas doing all these amazing things. I was like, wow, that is so cool. I would love to meet her. 
And she's like, oh, you can't, darling. She got killed by a drunk driver two years ago. And, uh, you know, we decided to focus our giving and start helping some of these other community organizations actually do something. And we ended up building a memorial for Safari out here on Crystal Lake in Southwest Oklahoma City. And sort of connecting with people when on the shine foundation, I got involved in the shine foundation, eventually be on their board, raised a lot of money up in the corner up here. You can see a picture of me and my wife and Chris Christopherson. And I think that bottom picture wow. is Merle Haggard's, Merle Haggard's kids. And we set up all these concerts with BJ Thomas and Alan Parsons project and a bunch of old timer, uh, you know, rockabilly and old rock and country and, you know, we're only starting getting involved in the community and meeting people and seeing what people were working towards. And when you start really experiencing community and becoming part of the community, your whole world changes. It's not just about you. It's about yeah. we and us and what are we doing and how are we working together? And how are we? Yeah. Which forward? is fascinating. I think given your story that that kind of became your journey, right? Like that you were, uh, like not just curious about community and like how it means a lot to you. It sounds like it is. I just think it's, it's interesting how the, our experiences as children growing up or the things that we believe, right. Uh, the things that we're missing are the things that we go after, you know, the mm-hmm. things that the things that we pursue and that become, it sounds to me like community involvement and in nonprofits. It's kind of become your mission, right. Helping other people to connect. So I asked you earlier, and maybe maybe you haven't had this experience, but uh, about kind of the the dark night of the soul or the spiritual desert. Like, have you had the times after you came to faith, you find this community and you're growing? Have you ever had a time where you like question God or question whether or not He was there? Or what was what was was that like for you? And if not, that's okay. Uh, I've definitely questioned God quite a bit. I think we tend to give Him too much credit for positive or negative things in our lives. But when you're alone or you feel alone, you start to wonder what is it? What's the purpose? What are you there for? So when I got stationed out in in Bahrain, I was there within, you know, my first couple of months trying to figure it out. You know, we only, we only get bad news over the oceans, right? We only get terrible news from overseas and they only get terrible news from us on the other side of the world. And, and most of the news anyway is just uh, pretty awful, just roundabout. But they only get the worst of the worst news over there. So I'm over there walking through uh, a Muslim country, wondering if what I read in the news is true, if I need to protect myself. I walked around with like my hand on my pocket knife for the first couple of months while I was there um, because I didn't know. I wasn't sure. Here I am you know, seven to 8,000 miles away from my family. I don't know anyone in this country. Uh, It's largely desert. Um, Not sure what to expect. And when you finally get that moment of peace and you realize, oh, they're just people like we are. And then I found a church and I realized I could walk around in my Jesus t-shirt and no one cared because they have Christians all over the island. And something I didn't know either is they all speak English. Had no idea. Wow. They, everyone yeah. in the, uh, the Islamic world uh, speaks Arabic. They also speak English. I went to Bahrain and Dubai and even Egypt. Not Egypt as much, but anyone my age, they all spoke English, uh, which was amazing. 
Hmm. But why why is that? Do you know? Do I know what it is? I imagine it's because they have to interact with the Western world so much. Yeah. yeah. Which is funny because I more people in the Middle East speak English than do people in Europe. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, they okay. have no reason to learn yeah, English we, in Europe, but they do in the Middle East. I think it has to do with economics, yeah. like where's your money coming from? How are you getting it? Who are you doing business with? Sure, it's probably some oil connection. I imagine it might be. <laughs> Who's buying our oil today? Yeah. Oh, the Americans again? Fabulous. <laughs> right. Maybe we should learn to speak to them. Interesting. Okay. Fascinating. Okay. So anyway, so you were there and it was kind of a, it was a, it was a tough time and you're wondering like, okay, yeah. where there's this, there's this huge bridge and I had walked over there in the disgustingly hot day and don't see a whole lot of people on the street. It was, it was Ramadan when I got there and it was <laughs> disgustingly hot out and I'm sitting in this park. I found a little bit of a shade and this car pulls up and this family gets out and this is kind of the switch for me kids get out and they're running around playing and giggling and they do something and dad says something in Arabic like, Oh, what are you doing? Get over here. You know, be safe. And you realize that people are just people. Mm -hmm. They want to feed and protect their families. They want to grow them, their kids to grow up big, strong, healthy, healthy and happy. And um, they're just people just like anywhere else. If you go on, if you don't believe me, go on Google earth and go to, Iran and zoom in and you will find people walking around dressed in clothes like we are. You will see carnivals and people eating cotton candy. And obviously there's people out there that wish us harm, but uh, vast majority, it's just people. Religion gets in the way sometimes, politics gets in the way sometimes, some little different habits, right? Little cultural issues, but really just people. Everywhere you go, there's just people been to all 50 states i've been to 12 countries and surprise surprise everywhere i've gone is full of people mm-hmm. and we were all created in god's image yeah which to go back to that is like that's why human dignity is so powerful so important right to to just see the the person on the other side the hopes and fears and dreams just like you and you know that's why service is so powerful right what what zig ziglar say you can get anything you want in life if you help enough other people to get what they want, right? That's, and that's just true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Quick little, little side story here. So my daughter wanted to take sign language as a freshman and they didn't offer it for freshmen in high school. We found a church a community group that had, they were teaching sign language. They had some deaf people there and they had some people that were interpreting and we learned sign language with her because she's never showed interest in anything. So we all took it together. We did that for two years, which is a lot of fun. I end up in Bahrain and I meet a guy um, out walking one day and we're uh, sitting around or, you know, chewing the fat and chatting. And he's like, you know what? You're hilarious. You should come to my wedding. I was like, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> love to. And he's like, good. It's in Alexandria. It's in Egypt. Oh, wow. And so I text my wife. I was like, Hey, I just got to invite in a wedding in Egypt. She's like, well, you better go. I was like, okay, done, done. That was two years ago here. Um, went out to Egypt to meet him and his family. I'm the only white guy in Alexandria, as far as I can tell by far, yeah. the only white. I saw one white person when I was leaving the day I was leaving. Uh, but we were out shopping and getting things for the wedding and meeting his friends and family and stuff. And there was someone standing on the corner and they had a little car they were handing out. And I kind of looked at my friend and he was just like, just ignore this person. 
And I look over and I recognize what it is because deaf people in America do this too. They hand you a little card, says they're hard of hearing, can you help? But since I had mm. learned sign language, I could communicate with and say, hi, my name is Travis. Yeah. He got all excited and happy because I was able to communicate with him. And my wife works at a pharmacy in the U.S. and she's able to communicate with the deaf that come in. They come in looking for her specifically. And my daughter's got to use it uh, when she was a waitress and she helped a whole table full of deaf people and they could converse. And it didn't take a lot of time, a lot of extra effort or a lot of money, but learning just a little bit of how to communicate with another group of people helped us all over the world. Mm, I love that. Isn't that amazing? And just ha- taking the time to do that is, is pretty cool on, on your part to not just have your daughter learn it, but to say, okay, the whole family's going to do it. Yeah, that's cool. Love that. All right. So you say you're, you know, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but you're on a mission to help the helpers, right? What is, what does that mean that you do? Well, we have those really important conversations for nonprofits. We talk about how nonprofits need to be more like business, how business should be more like nonprofits. How do you interact with your board and your volunteers and your staff and the general public? How do you really do something that matters? And I was on the board of two nonprofits and I learned all sorts of different ways to do things and raise money. And then we bring people on to have these important conversations. Because if we can have an important conversation, reveal the how to for success of how to do an event better, how to better communicate with your staff. That means that the nonprofits that listen to this stuff, or even the business organizations that listen, they're going to learn a little bit better way of how to do it. And in effect, I'm doing my job of helping them Mm -hmm. help others and how to do that better. I realized that if I'm going to have an impact, I've got to have a platform. And I know you're a huge fan of podcasting like I am that have a platform that's going to be able to share these things. And just like you're, just like your friend, uh, every interview I do is like a free coaching session. <laughs> you know, I've got to interview Bob Berg, who's the author of the Go-Giver series. I got to interview um, Evan Owens, who runs Reboot Recovery, and great Christian man and a good mission there. And got to interview Steve Sims, who does world-class events for millionaires and billionaires. Wow. In fact, what he does every year with Sir Elton John is he hosts his red carpet Oscar party every year. So I had him on talking about how to do events and what's the difference between good event and a bad event. Mm-hmm. And is it the same as saying a for-profit event and a nonprofit event? And he's like, well, actually kind of really it is. And he brought us through the journey of what that looks like, what some of the elements are. What's I asked him what is an event that he created that touched him the most personally, had the most personal impact on him. And you really start to see and get these behind the scenes looks. And it's no kidding, like doing a private masterclass with the experts for free. It's just a wonderful way to grow. Like since I've started my podcast, it just, just went over two years here on the 23rd of September. You know, we've been ranked number four in the U.S., six in Canada, three uh, top five in three other countries and got featured on podcast magazine last year, number 11 of veteran hosted shows. That's awesome. The amount of growth and connection and just fun that I've had since podcasting. Oh my goodness. Right. I can't even tell you my whole other trajectory, finding God a different trajectory, getting around the right people, a whole other stratosphere and then podcasting. Oh my goodness. Like I can't, I'm sure you've gushed about oh. podcasting throughout your shows over and over and over again. Um, 
<laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah. If you if, if you're listening to this and if you ever considered starting a show, uh, absolutely jump in full on, get going. Even if you just start with Anchor for free and use your smartphone to record, get started. Yep. It, it is, you could you could hem and haw all day about all the different ways to do it and what equipment do you want to use? Do you want to use this crazy stuff? Do you want to use what Eric's using? Why? What's the big? Don't get hung up on that. Get started. Find a pass. Find something you want to talk about that you're passionate about, want to learn about want to share about and, and get going. Yeah, please. hundred percent friends. And here's the thing. I see the body of Christ in podcasting far more than I do at my local church. I love my church. Don't get me wrong. If you're from my church and you're listening, I love you. But what I see in podcasting is so many people uh, who are using their gifts in their niches that bring the gospel to bear upon them. Right. So like I have a friend, I was just thinking about this today because she just passed 10,000 downloads for her podcast in a year and a half. And she talks about trauma. Right. And so I, I, her name's Amy Watson. I linked her episode to, to in the show notes for this episode. I think it's relevant. But, uh, you know, she talks about trauma. And I have another friend who talks about, um, I don't know, I was trying, trying to think, business success. And I have other friends, all kinds of things. Right. But what they're doing is they're bringing the gospel to bear on their particular thing. And you're working with nonprofits. And I just love, I think that is the way the gospel goes out in the 21st century and beyond. And uh, so if you feel calling friends to do that, go to Facebook, search for Christian Podcasters Association. We'll show you how to do it. That's the place to be. Um, and Travis is teaching too, which is great. You can find him as well. Travis, I thank you for sharing your story. I really appreciate the way that uh, God has has uh, moved in your life to to give you so much, to give you that platform, to give back. Um, it really is is incredible. Um, is are there anything anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, I, I definitely do, and thank you for asking. Look, my life, I've been through. We'll just call it some stuff, right? <laughs> and my stuff's going to be different than your stuff. But here's the deal. There's no one that can come close to having the experiences I've had to use them for the way I need to, I need to use them, right? You've got your own set of experiences, your own special set of skills that you've built up over time that people can't compare with. Do not discount yourself and the wonderful mm -hmm. creation the Lord has made when people are like, Travis, your life was pretty crappy. Like, how could you possibly have used all that stuff for good? I've got a friend of mine that was in a pretty bad relationship and the gal that he was with convinced the command in the Navy, all of his friends and his parents that he was some kind of bad guy. The only person that was able to see through that facade and that nonsense was me because I had seen it before. Wow. I had seen it before and I had survived and I knew immediately what she was, what she was trying to do and how she was doing it. And we were able to, my wife and I were able to take him in, kind of help him get back on his feet. And then we helped him leave the area, move back in with his parents, him going to college at Purdue. He got a job at Lockheed Martin down in Fort Worth, married a wonderful woman, and now they're expecting their first baby. But can you imagine if the Lord hadn't prepared me to see all the nastiness that was happening in his life and that he truly was? not the perpetrator. Can you imagine if I hadn't been prepared to see that? Yeah. How his life would have been affected and, and be different than it is now? 
Yeah. So friends, you have, have your experiences for a reason and be on, be on the lookout. I love that. Travis, thanks for that. People can find you. Your website is nonprofitarchitect.org, right? That's, that's good. Nonprofitarchitect.org. People can find you there or friends. I'm always, as always, I've got everything linked up at the show notes at halfway there. Podcast.com. Travis, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks again, Eric. Glad to be here.